to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Kate. This week, I spoke to Bo Vitoli, one of the co-founders of Prosper, a fintech focused on SME lending here in Australia. Um, really great chat and one that really ties quite nicely to some of our recent research on what's happening in terms of SME recovery uh, post-pandemic or, or as we come out of the pandemic. Um, the intent of this episode really was to talk quite a lot about that and Bo's experience in terms of helping SMEs really get back to work and some of the key challenges um, that SMEs are facing. I think we've seen this in our data quite a lot as well. SMEs in Australia are really starting to feel a lot more confident about the future. Uh, they are expressing a need for lending and for more flexible lending. Um, and Prosper really feel that gap here in Australia, though I think is probably a universal um, challenge that SMEs face. And Bo spoke quite a lot about the fact that there really was a, a key unmet need. And given what we're currently going through and the fact that um, as things start to reopen, we continue to have a really two-speed economy, um, that will become more important. And having Bo's experience and I think Prosper's experience of launching new products, going into new, new markets and also going through um, this economic change will be really useful, hopefully, for, for other markets and other founders out there thinking about how to solve this problem for customers. I think this is something that's becoming particularly interesting and relevant because we talk a lot about what have been the impacts of the pandemic on consumers, but then it's a whole other picture when thinking about the impact on business owners. And we know that globally there's been a massive impact in the retail and hospitality space. And I think this is something where Prosper is quite uniquely positioned to actually help a lot of customers who are either having difficulty accessing credit or who really value credit in an environment where they're not getting the customers or they're actually... They would have the customers, but there's been limitations with movement or people even being able to visit that store or visit that restaurant. So I think this is particularly relevant. And I think when thinking globally as well about what businesses can do and what lenders can be thinking about, this is going to be really, really interesting. So looking forward to this one. Yeah, there's a lot that both folks about, talks about and just in terms of that access to credit being so important for a business who businesses don't want to be doing banking. I think we could probably say the same for consumers, but businesses really just want to be running their business um, and to be earning money and even things like um, focus on, you know, staffing and, and fixing some of those needs that they have internally. Um, so, yeah, a really good example, uh, Bro's experience of running different businesses and, and launching Prosper I think also will be really useful hopefully for our listeners. Fantastic. Well, let's cut across to the interview now and have a listen. Hi, Bo. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and um, about your background prior to uh, being at Prosper. Yeah, well, thanks, Kate. It's great to be here and um, yeah, really happy to be a part of all of this. So, yeah, so I mean, uh, my background um, has been you know, quite an interesting um, journey. I started my first business when I was 19 years old and um, I've pretty much been uh, running my own businesses uh, all the way through uh, sort of the better part of 20 years now. So, um, I've always been an entrepreneur, always liked um, the idea of, of starting and, and trying to run and grow a business. Um, my first business was, in fact, a, a business in the scooter industry. So think Vespers and, and that sort of um, thing. So uh, way back in 2002, actually opened a, uh, a business in Australia in that space. I've had a, a technology business in telematics um, and a range of different things in between. So, um, yeah, prior to, to Prosper, um, have been doing yeah, a range of, of different businesses and um, all, all that sort of stuff. 
I think serial entrepreneur probably sets you up really well to be running a business like Prosper as well. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the customer problem that you were looking to solve when you launched Prosper and about Prosper's journey so far. So the, the customer problem for um, for small business owners is the, the space around accessing capital. And uh, having been a small business owner many times myself, um, and the co-founder of, of Prosper as well, Greg Michelle, has also had multiple small businesses uh, in his life as well. Uh, we knew firsthand just how difficult it was to access capital if you're running and, and trying to grow a business. And we'd had experiences where we'd, we'd said no to opportunities and we'd had to really struggle through growth because we couldn't get the capital we required uh, to run those businesses. Um, so Greg and I came together in 2012 and um, so going back about nine years now, and we wanted to to do something about this, to figure out, is there a way that we could put our experience in running businesses sort of together and figure out a way to create basically a product that allowed small business owners to, um, in a fast, simple and flexible way, access the capital they needed to run their businesses. Uh, when we started Prosper, there wasn't uh, really anything like us in the industry. So we were really pioneering. Um, we were sort of very lucky that the cloud as a, a technology was just starting to emerge and we made a decision back in 2012 to become a 100% cloud-based business and that's allowed us to, to grow and scale the business really nicely and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit more detail um, a little bit later but um, the problem was really helping small business owners get the capital they needed as quickly as possible. When we started the business the, the industry um, was pretty much dominated by the big banks and when you went and you looked to try and find capital, it was really difficult. It could take you four to even eight weeks to go through the application process. Sometimes it could take another two or three months to get an answer. Um, so by the time you've applied and you found out whether or not you could access capital, the opportunity you needed may very well have passed. So we wanted to do something about that and, and hence the idea of Prosper was born. And as you alluded to there, there's, there's a number of other providers that are now sort of in the market and trying to solve a similar customer problem. Um, but obviously the incumbent providers and major banks were, were there beforehand. What do you think the, the major banks were really missing or getting wrong? Um, why weren't they able to solve that need? Why do you need the prospers of the world to come in and to solve that for small businesses? So when we look at a small business and, and a prosper, we define who is a small business. We are talking about a company typically turning over less than $2 million a year in revenue. And that so happens to represent around about 97% of all businesses. And in Australia, there are about 2 million businesses. So the vast, vast majority are doing less than $2 million a year. The banks, when they look at small businesses, they're looking at companies that are usually borrowing between one and $5 million. And when we look at our average loan, our average customer, they're borrowing about 30 to $40,000. So the banking system literally defines a small business as a business looking for a facility 100 times larger than the facilities that we provide. And there's just a massive disconnect between what the end customer is really after and what the market and the incumbents were providing. Um, you've got to remember the banks are really set up for, for scale and in particular for secured lending. So products like mortgages and car loans, even large scale business lending where there are hard assets like commercial properties or uh, plant and equipment, they're very, very good at that kind of thing. But for the average small business owner, think your local florist, your local cafe, um, you know, even a, a small wholesaling business that might need fifty dollars or $100,000, banks are just not engineered to provide uh, fast and simple products for those types of customers. So as a result of that, uh, companies like Prosper are required and 
Um, we've now lent out over $2 billion in the last nine years of, of operation. So the size and scale of this problem is, is really large. Um, and it's something that the, the sort of traditional system has not been able to solve and something that companies like Prosper are solving. I think um, one of the things we talk about a fair bit on the podcast is the fact that fintech are, is really well positioned to solve these problems for customers that um, traditional providers maybe don't have as much experience in or don't have the time to really focus on solving those properly or just, as you said, aren't set up to solve them correctly either. Um, I do want to come back and talk a bit more about your experience building Prosper as a business. I'm sure there's a lot of a lot you can add around the success that you, you've had. But what I wanted to touch on um, first, given sort of context that we're in at the moment, um, the fact that Australia has weathered the, the pandemic and weathered 2020 pretty well. Um, and funding obviously a really key part, I think, of the recovery that we'll see for businesses. So I wanted to get your, your opinions on that. Um, what I would ask you to talk to first perhaps is the, the challenges that are faced by small businesses in terms of restarting the economy. I think we, we think we're really lucky where, where it's great that things are starting to reopen, but for a small business, I imagine it's not just, it's just not that easy. Um, what do you think are the, the key challenges that are facing small businesses in this current environment? Um, and also, is there any advice that you would perhaps give to maybe um, as someone who's similar to Prospect, but who's from another market? What can they learn from the Australian experience? Sure. So um, I'll pass that question. I think the first part in regards to um, what, what sort of challenges small business owners are facing, um, I feel like a majority of small businesses have actually moved through the restarting their business phase. Um, if you look at Australia as an example, the, the last kind of um, very heavy lockdown that we had ended in November last year, which was in Melbourne, um, which is better part of six months ago. So the vast majority of Australia's small businesses have sort of gone through the shock of, of the initial kind of government restrictions, adjusted their business, and then as restrictions have been eased, been able to reboot their businesses. Um, I think what, what small business owners are now facing are more challenges to do with a almost over heating economy. So things like labour shortages um, are something that we're hearing a lot of from our customers. Industries like hospitality are finding it very difficult to find staff because they don't have the typical backpackers and, and sources of labour that come into the country. Um, if we look at different um, industries like in uh, industries where there's a demand for technology, so um, things like software engineers and so forth and data uh, scientists and analysts, um, demand for those roles has gone through the roof because e-commerce has really taken off and many small business owners didn't have an e-commerce presence before COVID and they realised there was this whole audience now of customers shopping online um, and they really need to get their businesses into the online world. So demand for those sorts of services has gone through the roof and has had costs. Um, it's well documented at the moment, but supply chains are under extreme pressure and inflation is starting to creep in. So costs are going up uh, for small businesses as well. Uh, which is a, a good thing and a bad thing because if you're in a small business industry where you can pass the cost on, then you might even be able to expand your margin. But that doesn't happen to all industries. So many industries are having to wear that increasing cost while keeping their level of, um, of revenue or, or margin that they make uh, at a decreasing level. So there's a range of different challenges that small business owners are facing. It's less to do with restarting their businesses, more to do with kind of these economic forces that are creating um, challenges for them to operate and, and grow. Um, there's a great deal of confidence, I think, out there at the moment in the Australian small business um, community. We also run a business in New Zealand, so we're getting to see that data as well. Um, and it follows a very similar pattern to the Australian economy. So um, you are quite right, Kate. We've managed the, the pandemic exceptionally well at a government and a health crisis um, level, and that's allowed the economy and, and 
particularly with the small business economy, to really do well during this period. Um, I think for, for advice for um, other places where, yeah, outside of Australia, that are sort of rebooting um, or really getting started again, um, what we saw here, certainly in Australia, the key was keeping as many people employed as possible. And what we found uh, was that most small business owners were deferring investment decisions and trying to retain their labour. Because if you have a team of 15 people, it's taking a long time to find 15 good people to help you run your small business. Um, and anything that a small business owner can do to retain them, they were doing. So a lot of the government support policies and so forth right around the world are oriented trying to keep people in, in employment, especially in the small business part of, of the economy. Um, I mean, small business owners in most um, countries are leading the recovery. And yes, big businesses um, will respond and will, will hire, but it's actually small businesses that have a disproportionate impact in terms of GDP and employment growth. So um, anything that can, that can be put in place to help them is really good. And capital is a really important part of, of that. And I'll touch on this a little bit later around some of the things Prosper's doing to really try and help turbocharge the small business economy. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that you made around the economic impacts. Um, I was on holidays in Queensland recently and, and came face to face with that problem of um, there's lots of tourism there. So tourism, the tourism economy is doing well, but there's no service stuff available because those people who would normally be employed um, haven't been able to come into the country because of international borders. So multifaceted. Um, I'd also actually just be curious to know what your thoughts are around, as you said, the, the impact on different SMEs is very different depending on what industry vertical they're in. Um, to what extent do you think that comes into or does that play on how you respond as a provider to different businesses? Are you really conscious of the fact that these SMEs are going through quite different challenges or is it more um, everyone's kind of dealing with the same problem but in a different way? Uh, there's definitely a two-speed economy going on. So um, we do have to approach it differently. And fortunately, the, the part of the economy that is growing and, um, and the recovery is well underway is the majority of the economy. So if we look at industries sort of holistically, um, industries like building and trade, professional services, retail, um, most of hospitality, um, transport and logistics. These industries are going really well. Health and medical, obviously, is another big one. That's also going really well. And those are all key industries for us um, as a funder. So um, where the two-speed is happening are in pockets of the economy. So there are definitely certain areas um, that are under, under pressure. So a good example in, in the hospitality industry are CBD locations. Uh, most of the CBDs, especially Sydney and Melbourne, um, are still at sort of 50 to 60% of the typical staff that would come back into the, the CBDs. And that's causing big problems for restaurants and cafes and bars that operate in those CBD locations because their customer base literally is at half uh, the rate it was. People are working from home. So suburban areas are going really well. And in fact, hospitality businesses in those um, suburban areas are booming and are trying to grow and open up bigger sites and, and require capital for that. Uh, whereas the city-based um, areas are doing it a bit tougher. Similarly in tourism, um, if your tour tourism relied upon domestic travel, you're having a great time. So Byron Bay as a good example in New South Wales, um, as busy as it's ever been. But if you're talking about Queensland, Gold Coast is doing really well. But if you go to Cairns, that area is actually under a lot of pressure because they are more of an international tourism-based um, destination. So there are areas that are definitely doing it more tough, but they're very localised. Um, and fortunately, I think for the economy, these are very small parts um, of the economy. I think what we're seeing with the government and the way that they're responding at a federal, state and local level is now much more 
Hayward. Um, so we're seeing packages for aviation, which is a, a good example, um, some of the tourism sectors and some of the other areas that are under, under a bit of pressure. And that's what we should be doing. We should be having very tailored responses now um, because at a holistic level, the economy is doing very well. I think, as, as you said, that nuance between different businesses is very important or different industries is very important. I think um, there's sometimes a tendency to, to lump small businesses into one big group, but there's so much variation in, in who those businesses are and what, what problems they're trying to solve as well. There really is. And, and in most cases, the challenges that those businesses are facing, they're not caused by the business owner being a, a poor operator, yeah, it's the circumstances of, of what's happened. I mean, we've got the international borders closed at the moment. Um, it's impossible for a Cairns-based tourism business that, um, I don't know, does boat charters out to the Great Barrier Reef. They're just not going to find enough domestic-based customers to, to run their business at full scale. So um, it's localised. It's, in many cases, not their fault. Um, I, I applaud these business owners, though, because they're all doing whatever they have to do to get through um, the crisis they're still facing and they're coming up with all sorts of innovative ways of, of doing it. So a number of CBD based um, restaurants and cafes are now doing large scale catering programs and um, delivery services out into the suburbs and a range of different things. So uh, business owners, again, in the small business economy have, have proved to be very resilient over the past year and super dynamic and they're adjusting their cost structures, their choices and trying to grow in new and, and, in, and innovative ways. Um, I think that's really um, testament just to how small business owners think about um, tough times. You know, they won't just sit there and let it happen to them. They try to do something about it. Absolutely. Um, you've seen some really amazing growth at Prosper recently. And, and I think um, you're sort of alluding to there, there's a there's pent up demand in the market. We've seen um, a period of, of SMEs being really cautious and concerned about what's happening, but we're now reopening and SMEs are, are pivoting. They're thinking about dealing with those key challenges. Um, how did Prosper prepare for that pent up demand in the market? Um, and again, is there any advice that you would give either to other markets or, or maybe not to competitors, but um, to sort of similar providers in different markets around how you're um, achieving that growth? So the, the reopening um, or really the rebooting, I guess, of the economy and trying to get um, this recovery underway, we, we sort of look at it as the, we call it the re of everything. And uh, what we saw last year were many decisions by business owners were just effectively deferred and they're now having to do the re of everything. So they're having to rehire. So roles that they um, deferred last year or in some cases even let go of, they're now having to rehire. Um, they're having to replace their equipment. So uh, many business owners, February, March, April last year, if your equipment you know, was almost at the end of its life, normally you would just upgrade and buy new equipment. Um, very few business owners were doing that. If you could squeeze another 12 months out of your equipment, you did that. And that's now coming to roost. They have to now replace that equipment. So they're having to replace um, huge volumes and there's great tax incentives around that as well. Um, there's also restocking. I, I talked about um, some of the supply chain challenges that businesses are facing right now. Um, that again is driven because many businesses ran their inventory levels down as low as they could in the early stages of the crisis. And they're now seeing an economic recovery, consumer demand and consumer confidence is at record highs. Property prices are going through the roof. So people are feeling wealthier and they're looking to buy more stuff. Um, and businesses are trying to catch up with their inventory 
and actually restock their, their inventory. So there's all of this um, activity, if you like, happening. Um, and in Australia right now, it's the end of financial year. So um, there's all kinds of reasons that businesses now put on all, all sorts of offers and commercial deals to try and um, establish and create more traction. So it really is a, um, a confluence of many positive forces that's creating that, that pent up demand. Um, so, you know, at Prosper, for us, we, we wanted to be ready when, when the crisis started. And uh, we've been, I've been fortunate in, in this business and um, in other businesses and many of the senior people, my, my co-founder, Greg and I, um, we've had experiences through many crises and um, usually the worst part of a crisis lasts six to nine months. So at the beginning of, of um, this pandemic era, we were looking at it saying we've got a, a really tough period coming probably for the better part of 2020, but next year should be a lot better. So what are the decisions we need to make to navigate our way through that really difficult time? And how do we ensure that we are ready for the recovery when it's well underway? Um, and that was what the, the business choices we made. So uh, we did things last year that were, were conserving cash activities. For, so for example, we brought our marketing activity down, but we knew we'd bring our marketing activity back up. So ensure that we were ready with our campaigns, with our budget allocation, um, with our team, we made sure we were, were ready to go again. And when we saw the right economic indicators emerging, we were investing and you know, our market is now back up to kind of pre-COVID levels. So it was really about um, battening down the hatches for the worst of the, the crisis and then being ready and being clear about what being ready meant on the other side of it. And really since 2021 has, has commenced um, and we've, we're a public listed company, so a lot of this is, is all available data. Uh, we've just seen consistent growth month to month and it's, it's wonderful because small business owners really are driving the, the recovery. Um, we do believe that it's an, an SME-led recovery and capital is the, or cash is the thing that actually powers almost every investment decision. So business owners are looking at how do I take advantage of that opportunity and, and have I got a capital partner like Prosper who can fund that opportunity? And the answer to that is, is inevitably yes. That's where that speed that Prosper provides becomes even more important, I imagine. It really does, yeah. And, and I mean, many business owners are seeing opportunities come across their, their desk and they've got you know, days maybe to respond. You know, a great example is in the, the building and trade industry where you know, a builder might ask five electricians to um, quote or tender on a particular job and you get a call out of the blue from the builder saying, hey, congratulations, you've won the tender. I need to know you're accepting it in the next 48 hours. And you might have to go and buy you know, $50,000 worth of materials in order to accept that particular tender. So um, do you have that $50,000? Maybe you don't. Well, it's actually $100,000 contract. So there's a lot of margin in it for you if you can say yes. You know, these are the business decisions that business owners are faced with. And as a capital partner, we want to be there to support these business owners so that they can say yes with confidence um, to those sorts of opportunities. And that I think actually quite nicely leads me on to, I guess, the story behind Prosper. And, and you've spoken a little bit about the, the challenge that you were um, solving for customers and, and the value proposition that Prosper, um, that, that Prosper meets. But um, what I'd be interested in knowing, your experience of, of building a really successful fintech and a, a successful fintech across markets as well, um, what are some of the key challenges that you and, and Greg experienced as you're going through that journey? Was there anything that you that you sort of faced that you weren't expecting to face in building a business? Absolutely. Um, the I mean, building a business of any scale, whether it's um, small, medium or large, is, is hard. Business is just hard. Um, you know, you, you find an opportunity uh, with a customer base, you design a product, 
Um, and then effectively you try to, to solve a problem and get that product to market and do that in a way that makes a little bit of profit. Like that's a, a business and it sounds easy on paper, but when you actually get into it, it's, it's really hard to do that. And yeah, there's some unfortunate statistics, something like 80% of new startups or businesses that, that start won't make it past the second year, you know, and that's a, a pretty daunting statistic for anyone who's going out and starting a business. But um, for us, you know, we were, we're pretty confident of the problem space when we started. Um, we, we knew that many small businesses, we'd been the customer, we knew that many of them couldn't source the right capital to run their businesses. And, and we thought that we could do it in a way that hadn't been done before and that that would be a unique advantage, a competitive advantage to our, our business, something that we could figure out how to scale um, quite rapidly by using technology um, and then hopefully build a, a lasting business. I think in terms of challenges, um, you, you have different challenges at different eras within a business. Um, I think, you know, when you're, you're small and in those early years, um, really your challenge is product market fit. Can you, in a, a scalable way, in a profitable way, figure out how to get that product proposition into the market? Um, and that's really hard to do. I mean, it's, um, it's one thing to, to see a problem and to build a product. It's a totally different thing to scale that product into the market. So, um, you know, we, we had some challenges there in the early years of doing that in a cost-effective way. Um, in our business, our inventory is actually cash. So when we lend money to a customer, we have to source that capital ourselves. And in the very early years of our business, um, there was really no VC in Australia back in, in 2012 when we started. Um, so we had to go offshore and find capital. And that was a really big challenge to convince somebody to bring money into Australia and to, to fund um, an asset class of small businesses that hadn't been done before. So there were some unique challenges in those early years. And um, yeah, anyone who started or, or uh, founded a business will probably share war stories of how hard it can be to get the first couple of employees to join you and, and back your crazy idea. Um, you know, you're, you're wearing every hat in the business. So you're the general manager for sure, but you're also the marketing manager and the um, uh, design manager. You're running um, marketing and all sorts of other functions as well. So it is a really tricky um, thing to get through those, those first few years. I think as you get bigger though, um, the challenges do change. And um, you know, more recently we moved from being a single product, single country business where you know, we'd seen and established that first very successful product. Um, into a multi-product and multi-country uh, business. And that brings its own challenges. So, you know, launching um, into a second country, launching a second product and subsequent products to that um, come with a range of different challenges. You, you know, we had a business that could do one thing really, really well. Now we're trying to do multiple things really, really well. And that comes with the different challenges around collaboration, prioritization. Um, you know, as a, an entrepreneurial business, we, we're always coming up with more ideas than we have resources to to do so um, a lot of the challenges come from figuring out what to say no to you know, as much as what to say yes to so um, yeah the challenges continue to to evolve um, you know we've thoroughly enjoyed it's been nine years uh, here at Prosper now and we're up to about 240 people in the team and we're now listed on the ASX as well so it's been a, a wonderful journey you know, for us from startup with just two of us and a, a crazy idea right up to over two billion dollars in in product sales effectively um, you know, a large, uh, much bigger listed company. So, so, yeah, the challenges continue to, to evolve, but um, we, we love it. And I think you learn more about business and more about people and stakeholder management and markets every single day. I do want to ask you about New Zealand as well, as I think um, I, I do a lot of work in both Australia and New Zealand. I think there's a tendency for 
I think both Australians and, and probably um, people outside Australia as well to see those those markets has been very similar um, and to sort of assume that what works in Australia will, will work in New Zealand. But my experience has definitely been that there's a lot of market nuance, even despite all of those similarities. Um, I'd be curious to know if that was your experience with going into New Zealand as well and, and also just how difficult it is to launch in a new market um, for Prosper. So um, I might touch on a little bit about launching sort of the multiple product and multiple mm -hmm. country um, component because they um, they go hand in hand effectively um, in, in business and in most businesses that grow from a startup to a scale up, you've got a core product or a core proposition and it sometimes isn't what you started with. You might have had to modify it a little bit in those early years to land on the right proposition, but um, if you want to be a scale-up, you have to have landed on a product, which we sort of think of it as it's got to be your hero product. Um, it's the product that every day you come in and there is demand for that product and it's scaling. You're not talking about year-on-year -year growth, you're talking about month-on-month -month growth. And that's when you know you're really onto to something. So um, without having that kind of core product that is, is scaling nicely in your business, and by scaling, it's not a free product. It's got to be a revenue-generating product something a customer is prepared to pay you for. Um, anyone can create a free proposition and start to, to scale that. And there are some wonderful business models that can be built by mass customer acquisition that way and then start to cross sell other services. Um, but you've got to be able to generate revenue. And however you do that, um, it's, it's really important. From time to time, there are magical businesses um, that get built like uh, Facebook and, and others that didn't really have to generate revenue from their direct customer. Um, they really are the one in a million. And if you can build a Facebook, fantastic. You know, well done, you've, you've built a $500 billion company, but most startups um, do require a pathway to, to revenue. So um, getting that hero product right is, is very important. And strongest advice that, that I've received and that I've experienced is to not try and launch your second, your third, and your fourth product until you've got that hero product right. Um, and as I said, you might have to pivot a few times to, to get it. Once you've got that, that hero product, it actually... Um, gives you a number of different benefits. So firstly, you've got predictable revenue. So every month you can project your, your revenue growth. Um, you can use that to raise capital again. So you can go and talk to the venture capital or private equity or even the, the listed capital markets and demonstrate that revenue um, trajectory. And that allows you to make a lot of decisions around investment. Because if you know what capital is coming in from a revenue perspective and you can raise capital off the back of that, um, then you can choose what you want to do next, whether that's launching multiple products, whether that's launching into new countries or even acquiring businesses um, for different reasons. So that hero proposition, that's number one. If you've got that, that's the foundation of which you can scale from. Launching into a new country um, is, is something that can feel a little bit daunting. Um, it can also feel very exciting and it can feel like a, a way to radical scale. And you know, one of the, the things that we've been very cautious about here at Prof is ensuring that when we do launch into a, a new country that we are ready to service that country by leveraging what we've already built. Um, I think one of the, the mistakes that many companies make is they launch into a new country with a new product and that can be quite a, a difficult and dangerous strategy because how do you know that that market is going to be attracted to that product? How, do you, how can you benchmark the success of that product against things you already do? So when you see the most successful scale-ups launching internationally, they are typically launching their core product, that hero product into a new market. And it's a really um, fabulous thing if you can create that leverage and you can effectively run the operating costs out of your head office 
um, and maybe you just need a, a sales or distribution arm to that country. Um, and I think our experience in New Zealand proved that, that we were able to take our core proposition, all of that wonderful infrastructure we built at head office and create a, a new market in New Zealand. And um, to this day, that's a new market that's serviced with about five people across the organization. So it's a wonderful example of, of scale. Um, it was our existing proposition that was scaling nicely in the Australian market, taken into the New Zealand market. Um, and the New Zealand market for us is now a bit over 10% of our total business. So um, from a, a launching into multiple countries thing, always do it with a, a core proposition that's working. Um, always expect it to take longer and cost more, you know, a bit like acquisitions. Yeah, it always is a bit harder than you, you think it's going to be. Um, in business, you know, there are, we talk about one-way and two-way decisions. Um, you know, a, a one-way decision is an almost irreversible decision. It's really hard to pull back from. Um, launching into a new country is a little bit like that. You can always pull back, but it can be detrimental to your brand. Um, it can inhibit your ability to launch in that country in the future. So you've kind of got to approach it almost more as a, a one-way choice and, and we're going to make this work. Obviously, if it's not working after a couple of years, you can withdraw, but you've really got to go into it as um, if this is a, a commitment we're making, we're going to be, this is going to be a material part of our business. And depending on the country you're going to, it might actually be a bigger part of your business than the country that you've started in. Really interesting points there. Yeah, I like the idea of the, you get your core right and then you build and you grow. Um, thank you so much for your for your time today and all of your insights. I feel like I've learned a lot in this conversation. Um, what I might end on is, is whether there's anything you can share about uh, your goals or, or what you're going to be up to over the next 12 to 18 months. What can people expect from Prosper? Yeah, I mean, talking about strengthening your core. So for us, um, yeah, that really is the, the first point, which is to really double down on, on what we're good at. Um, you know, we really do understand the Australian and New Zealand small business owner. Um, we estimate that we have about 1% penetration of our total addressable market or, or our TAM. Um, so for us, the priority is very much around continuing to build out our current propositions and make them even better. And then look for value added services services that we can bring um, to our customers to ensure that they stick with us in the in the long term. Um, yeah, when we really think about our product strategy, when we think about where we can create value, um, there's three areas that we want to help small business owners in, and that's how they grow their business, how they run their business, and how they make payments. So for us here at, at Prosper, um, we've built wonderful products. Um, we've got two, two propositions that are our kind of primary, our fixed term products and our revolving um, payment products. Um, those categories have universal appeal across almost every industry and certainly every geographical area. Um, so for us, it really is about continuing to invest in that scale, building great propositions, um, enhancing our, our technology stack, um, and ultimately servicing more small businesses or as many small businesses as we can uh, for the many years to come. So watch this space. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our chat. Wonderful. It's great to be here and thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify and Podbean.